Let's be grateful for the word. Dear Lord, we're thankful for the, the Bibles we have. We're just grateful for a place we can go to see the, the directions your spirit moved your prophets and your apostles, things they thought the saints should know, the benefits we have from studying it. We'd ask that you'd walk with us through the last bit of Galatians, in your son's name, amen. We're actually finishing Galatians today. And I hope you understand throughout this book, we've looked at aspects of the passages that aren't, we're not claiming they're everything that's on the page, or even necessarily what's the main thing on the page in some cases. But the wonderful thing about the scriptures is that, that you can go back again and again and not just see the same thing, but also see a variety of other points of connection that where your soul is at, and sometimes the soul you bring Sunday morning ends up being spoken to directly by a, a side thing in the passage that even the pastor's not speaking of. But it's been a wonderful thing to go through the book, and, and uh, we'd ask that you'd consider going through it again yourself, teaching yourself what it has to say. Um, because if you say, oh, I, I didn't agree with Evan about this, well, great. The question is not what Evan said about the passage, but what St. Paul was saying. And you should go and look at it and find out what St. Paul is saying. So you can affirm something, not just deny something, but affirm something. The last verse of Galatians 5, last two verses, which we covered last week because it was hard to say where does this belong? Where does this is this the end of his thought in chapter 5 or is it the beginning of the thought or is it just part of this log on running move that Paul's making? He says if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit. Let us have no self conceit, no provoking one another, no envy of one another. Now he has just said earlier in the chapter about the works of the flesh are plain. And envy was on that list and, and um, um, selfishness. Why does he have to remind us that there should be no self-conceit, no provoking, no envy? When you start to examine the world and you start to examine what moves everyone to do what everyone does, you begin to realize how central self-conceit, provocation, and envy are to getting anything done in this world. In school, in business, in relationships. We live off of our evil urges and not evil urges like murder and mayhem. It's not like we're all going to join the Hell's Angels and go out and sell meth. And we, those are evils that our society has devoted and called evil. And 
for right now until Breaking Bad becomes actually a, a, a metaphor for our nation's life and, and we start thinking well of meth dealers or at least as anti-heroes. But uh, the kind of evil that moves society along is, is uh, there are probably other words for it, self-esteem rather than self-conceit. Loyalty rather than provoking. Ambition rather than envy. We've got other words for things, places to make ourselves comfortable because we know that we are moved in this world by these passions. There's, there's inertial force to something that gets you out of the bed in the morning. And the Lord says through the apostle that there should be no self-conceit, no provoking one another, and no envy of one another. And we sometimes live inside the church this way. I keep reasonably abreast of what's going on very loosely. I, of what goes on on the interwebs between Christians. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but there are competitive theologies out there. And different ministries who are trying to succeed more than the other guy. And there are points of conflict and points of uh, argument and points of fists being thrown and points of, it's, it's very interesting. We know that, and we think this is um, sufficient, we know that Christianity is about righteousness and so we take our self-conceit, our provoking one another and our envy of one another and couch them in those terms. That, are, that all these things are expressions of our desire to see someone be more righteous. So we don't call it self-conceit, the belief you have in your own righteousness. We don't call it provocation of one another when we pick up sides in a theological grudge match of some description. We don't call it envy when we speak amongst each other about some other more successful Christian group. We express our concerns, we call them. We, we uh, lift them up in prayer. You can almost feel the knife going into their back as you lift them up in prayer. When he tells you no self-conceit, no provoking, and no envy, he's assuming probably that this is not you know, some worldly girl's misbehavior down at the general store in Athens, you know, that she's not being a good witness by being, you know, too conceited. It's really talking to Christians about the way Christians treat Christians, our relationships with each other inside the church. We have done reasonably well in holding something that's hard to hold. There's like oil in your right hand, to quote the scriptures, all souls Christian churches fellowship. We have no, we just completely without organization. I think Glenda is our most organized circumstance in the church. And she draws little pictures on the sign-up sheets. That's about it, folks. That's what you got. But we're holding this together, but hopefully to keep 
all the self-conceit and provoking and envy that occurs in the church from happening among us. And it is only right that we, we talk about this in some sort of way because the next verse, which we would generally take contextually away from, we'd say, what do I do when somebody sins against me or I know somebody's in sin? And I would naturally go to Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's the passage I would quote. You should go after the person if you're spiritual, and you can do it gently, and you'd look out lest you be tempted. But it's occurring on the heels of this verse about don't be self-conceited, don't provoke one another, don't envy one another. Because we have our special ways of addressing or speaking of these evils in ourselves, because we have, we don't see it necessarily as self-conceit. We don't consider the prayer request as gossip. Now, it's not necessarily gossip. It depends on the hearts of the people offering the prayer request. Let's pray for poor old Mrs. Jensen. And then the story of what Mrs. Jensen was been up to. And all the women just nodding their heads. Oh, boy, that's so sorry. I can't wait to share this at Bible study. We have all different ways of talking about other people's sins. He says, when sin lands in the camp, when there's a trespass in the camp, which we normally would use for our sense of, I'm better than they are. As you probably are aware, if you're any kind of patriarchal uh, yahoo, that Doug Phillips of Vision Forum went the way of all flesh in the last couple of weeks and got caught in some sort of indiscretion. And when you hear something like that in the church, not that we, any of us know him or anything like that, do you feel a little bit better? When, it's, when he's doing well, you're in the ministry, he's in the ministry, and he's well known by thousands, and they buy his books. Do you feel envy? Do you feel that envy sets you up for the self-conceit of your assessment of his fall? Now, brethren, if someone is overtaken in a trespass, since we are in this relationship because of righteousness and holiness versus sin and ungodliness, we will find that our conceits and our envies and our provocations occur in reference to them. But Paul's saying, don't let yourself be drawn in by sin into someone else's life where your baser motives will make it look like you're doing the religious thing the Christian thing to one another. He gives you the standard. You, her spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness and watch out lest you be tempted. And the temptation you're going to receive is probably not, you know, you go to talk to somebody who's been unfaithful to their wife. And talking to them will probably not make you feel unfaithful to your wife. It's not the temptation that's going to land on you. You look to yourself lest you to be tempted by your conceits. People are less concerned 
The only people that are out there seem to be arguing for hanging Doug Phillips from the highest yardarm. That's one group. And they're generally the feminists, you know, and the people who don't like patriarchy in the first place. And, and they, this, uh, the see I told you so moment as if no feminist ever did an evil deed in their life. But, you know, his enemies, they are operating on their conceits. And then there are you, 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 the people that are, don't want to see this power situation be torn from the hands of Vision Forum by the indiscretion. So they're trying to act all sorts of, everybody needs to be gracious to Doug Phillips. And it's never really the person who has a real dim view of this material being gracious to Doug, Doug Phillips. We want people who have a real dim view of sin being gracious to Doug Phillips, should he be repentant. Because we, when we're dealing with these things, the world is moved by self-conceit, provocation, and envy. The church can be moved by conceit, provocation, and envy in terms of our religion, in terms of our theology, in terms of our good and bad behavior. And that's where we can be tempted. But we're supposed to, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Carry the other person. Now that's a... I want you to sort of bear that in mind and think about what, what that would mean to you. Bearing one another's burdens. Where are you naturally going with it? Are you the natural person who wants everyone else to bear your burdens? Because you've got so many, so you're thinking automatically of why the church isn't picking up their fair share of your burdens. Why aren't they fulfilling the law of Christ? Paul explains a little bit in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What? What does that have to do with it? Remember, he's talking about self-conceited, provoking, envious people. Not to be that way. And, and when you treat sin in your world and bear the burdens of somebody else, don't be thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. If you think you're something, when you're not, you're walking around functioning in this corrective manner as a self-deceived individual. It's still supposed to happen. The spiritual people are supposed to restore the brother in a spirit of gentleness. But too often, the ungodly rush in thinking they're godly because they have a high view of the person's sin. Or they want to stand close enough to the source of the gossip. They want to hear the whole story. They want to reach out to the person. Not because they want to restore them. If you're to bear one another's burdens, you can't leapfrog over the standard of your spirituality to get close to the thing you envied 
or that you're going to use to provoke or that you're going to measure your self-conceits on. If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. But then he says, let each one test his own work. Oh, there's something you can actually apply from the sermon today. Okay, something I can do. I can test what kind of person I am. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. This is where a kind of a tension in this passage exists. You don't want to say immediately, well, I'm the spiritual one, I'll go deal with it. Because if you've got to make sure you're not deceived, that you're not just some conceited person, easy, easy to be tempted into these situations. And you don't want to say, well, I, I, I shouldn't go talk to them, I'm, I'm not the spiritual one, because the grace of God can make you spiritual. Why aren't you spiritual? Why aren't you, why don't you fix it? You can't claim that because you've admitted that I'm not the spiritual one, that's not some get for you as because it describes you as humble. Yes, I'm really actually rotten. Well, yeah, but that's not good. You cannot be rotten. What's weird about this is he had just told you to bear one another's burdens, in verse 2, and then he says, you know, check yourself because you yourself are the standard by which you get up in the morning and face the day. The, the condition of you, as you, by you, your walk, how you are, because you don't want to be self-deceived. Then he says, verse 5, for each man will have to bear his own load. Bear one another's burdens. Everybody has to bear their own load. It's a very odd arrangement. But this is what it has to be. You know, what's, you know what, what's odd about it? Is you would like to create a church ministry that did this to people, but you can't create a ministry that can do this to people. Because it's almost a paradox. It's almost a yes and no. Because on one hand, you'd be creating some communist state where, you know, a church that would be like in Seattle or Portland, no offense, where you're all sharing one another's burdens. We're getting together and having a community meal every night. You can really go to town on that, sharing socks. Yeah, I got a pair of socks. Do you a pair of socks? It could be very, very actively communistic. For each man will have to bear his own love. Now, which direction am I going to take? That sounds like Ayn Rand. But, you know, it's, it's a, you know, you got, you got some libertarian uh, self, you know, um, a man makes himself and he carves his own niche in American society. He doesn't need any help from anybody, not his parents, not the government, nobody at all. And then this sort of weak, eviscerated, hippie situation where everybody's clinging to each other and waiting for the church to have open a soup kitchen in its basement so that everybody can be fed. You can't organize both these things, can you now? But you can organize you by both these things. Each one test. 
doesn't say us as a group find out a way to create a ministry that does this. We're not doing this as a ministry. You're doing it as somebody. Your measure, your place, where you are in the spirit, whether you're in the flesh or in the spirit. Because the church isn't going to be in the flesh or in the spirit. It's an institution. It's a name we put on top of our relationship with each other. The command isn't to the body. The command is to you. Test your own work. And your place, your, the law of Christ in you, <coughs> is for you to think accurately about yourself, Pick up your own job and do it. And while you're at it, bear their labor, their, bear their load as well. If everyone was concerned about carrying their own weight and carrying everybody else's, that your heart is about taking responsibility for you and loving the other person, you're going to have a wonderful church, frankly. A wonderful church. Because nobody comes in expecting Everybody comes in giving. Because what happens in churches where they design a giving motif, then they get, well, we see it with entitlement societies. As soon as you see that the institution is given to giving, then everybody who wants to be given to shows up. We want Christians to take responsibility for themselves, bear their own load, and then love the other person and bear the other person's love. Where no one's expecting to be helped, everyone's expecting to help. Now, I skimmed over this, this Corinthians 10 passage just for your reference. It's a thing off this boasting and, and comparing ourselves to one another. Read that on your own time. It was, it was just something to that sprang to my mind when I threw that passage in uh, um, verse 4. But I don't want to get bogged down with it and, and not get through the passage. Now, in verse 6, <clears throat> hmm, how'd that happen? Bolded, separated by a space, top and bottom, and centered. I'm surprised it's not in red. Why, what does it say? Let him who is taught share the word, taught the word, share all good things with him who teaches. <laughs> oh, that's charming. How did this happen? Now, <clears throat> it happened because I have an Adobe product that can do that. And as you know, we are in an unorganized church. Not about these. We don't, you didn't hire a pastor that, the pastor came with the building, you know, um, who knows what, where he came from. And some might look at this and go, this is a really awkward, I would look at this and go, what an awkward passage to preach through, right? You're the pastor, you saying, you know, hold it, excuse me, I'm the one teaching here. And you're the ones being taught. This could just blow up in our faces, couldn't it? Now, There's this temptation to wonder, how does a church that is not very organized get through this obvious bit of organization, you know, 
talent, what am I going to do with this? Well, the question isn't actually about what I'm going to do with this, because we just said in verse 5, every man has to bear his own load. I don't think a pastor should go into the work figuring the church has to pay him. He should say, I want to be in the work, I better get a job so I can support myself and pay for myself because I want to minister to the saints. That's his job. He has to carry his own load so that he can help carry the loads of others. That's what Paul did in uh, Acts 21, 2021, where he talks about um, the Ephesian elders. He says, I worked all the time for my living so that I wouldn't burden the church to show you elders how you ought to do it. That's the example in Acts. He's talking to the Ephesian elders at Miletus. That's what the pastor should be up to, because each man has to bear his own load. This is not a passage the pastor has to figure out what to do with it. It's the passage you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. Because you have to bear your own load. It's not to the pastor. It's not to the board of directors of the church that would say, okay, we've got to work this out. The, the, the okay, we'll have a tithing packets. Everybody has to get the little, like I grew up with that, we get little envelopes. And to make sure you didn't forget, you got a box of envelopes. And they were, you went each, like, I guess 52 envelopes, so that every week a new envelope would come out. And you had room for little coins on it, because you could be giving coins. And an envelope for the paper folding money. And you went off to church. And you signed up at the beginning of the year with a pledge of what you were. We're not that kind of church. You know we're not that kind of church. Every so often we do the old Santa Claus at the bucket and ring the bell and say, you know, we're not going to be able to pay the bills if you guys don't. You know, so we're not big on this. But this is not a matter of whether this church is big on this or whether Evan can deal with this passage. Not my business. My business is to preach the word whether or not anything happens at all. I have to bear my own load. Feed the wife. Now that she's back. You're the one that has to stop and go, okay, what do I do with this passage? Who teaches me? Is it a benefit? How do I register the benefit? How do I bear the load for them? Because I'm supposed to bear my own and his. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In case in case you think that that's a well, okay, I guess I better no, you don't you don't you don't there's no, just because this passage came up in this church at this moment and we have a very loose view of the the boxes in the back. But be, we don't have a, any kind of system of this. We don't pass the plate. Though somebody has recommended I'm not going to do it. Um, since we, were, we inherited plates from this church. Um, but no, we won't do that. The next passage, do not be deceived, verse 7, God is not mocked. Just in case you were wondering whether you could dodge this decision, not just about whether or not you share all good things with him who teaches, but whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now that applies, whereas the verse 6 applied only to the congregant, the taught, it didn't apply to the teacher. 
This applies to us all. You, you gain in life. God is watching everything. He upholds his faithful. What you sow, you will reap. He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now this is sort of cascading down from chapter 5 where he had the works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. This is all the nature of the Christian life. And you need to know that unless you pick it up in your hands to bear your own load in one and burdens of others in your other hand, not moved by provocation, envy, or self-conceit, but moved by the law of love, the law of Christ, you will then reap eternal life. That's the spirit. If you do it the other way, if you decide that you're going to not pay attention to this or just be moved by standard human motivations, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He will. You will end up rotten. My wife was sharing some of the things she had to deal with in California. It's not a believing family that she's from. And they're all approximately the same place in their lives as we are, are, are in ours. Aging at the same place. And you're watching people just become a collapsed version of a human being. Corruption. watching a, on Thanksgiving uh, the animal planet thing on the Arctic and the tribe of Inuits were trading with another tribe of Inuits and you know what they were trading? Sewn up bladders of walrus hide in which walrus blubber had been rotting for a good period of time till it was tasty I guess and someone, I guess, would want that. And so they're dragging this bladder of walrus hide filled with rotting walrus blubber. And most of us go, you know, I just get a scent of a little bit of chicken that's been sitting out too long, and I just want to pearl. Because <laughs> we're, we're such sophisticates. We, we're not big on corruption. We're not big on rot. Have you had kimchi? <laughs> Don't thumbs up me, Tara. It's vile, buried, rotting vegetable matter. You know, that's what it is. It's fermenting. It's fermenting. That's a, change the word and it's no longer a sin. Right? It's not self-conceit, it's self-esteem. It's not corruption, it's fermenting. If I object to yogurt, it's gone bad, folks. That's the point. Well, that's what's coming for those uh, reaping corruption, rottenness. What was once a human being has by their continual pursuit of 
not bearing their own burden, but trying to shuffle their burden, their responsibility off on everybody else. Everybody else is to blame for what goes wrong in their life, and they're not going to carry anything for anyone else. And the Christian law of Christ and love says, no, bear your own, and then bear other people's. That becomes a child of God. That becomes eternal life. And you will not be able to mock God in this. That's what when it says at the judgment in Revelation, and books were opened. Man would receive everything rightly for what he has done, whether it be good or evil. That's what's going to happen. So, verse 9, And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart, so this is being dangled out in front of you to inspire you about where your heart is. So you don't finally just give up and go, but no, but my ministry doesn't go anywhere. Your ministry doesn't go anywhere. Everybody else is getting ahead of us. Envy. Ours is doing great, so we can see. We want to be moved by the things the world gets moved by, but he wants us to be moved by well-doing. And the weariness that may set in for the person who picks that up, who sees, like Christ, like the apostles, that there is no earthly applause very often for those who do the right thing. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's the, uh, that's the task. And the task is not that you expect others to be responsible for you, that you take responsibility for you. The task is that you take responsibility for you so that you can, with skill and alacrity, care for other people. You're not waiting for that care to come bouncing back to you. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would compel you to be circumcised. Remember, this whole book is about the Judaizers and how they want to create people under the law again. And only in order that you, they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who receive circumcision do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. These are the people for whom religious life is being pursued in their envy, in their provocation, in their conceit. They naturally will look at the points of difference between Christian and Christian because they're about provoking. When they see something they envy in another ministry, they try to make that thing that they don't, the success, look bad because it was caused by that sort of behavior. The people that come in, they to the church, and bring the law, and bring these outward signs, they're all about counting up how many people you have. They're all about some outward measure of what makes you a Methodist, or a Baptist, or a Lutheran. They want to know, because they need to know. Because they're about envy, or they're about conceit. 
So they have an outward measure. But they, even down in their own heart of hearts, you see people completely devoted to the institution to which they belong, be it Anglican or whatever else, and their lives are morally a wreck. And they're bishops. And nobody seems to care that it's a moral wreck. That guy that got uh, suspended by the Methodists for doing a homosexual marriage. Um, it wasn't, I, somebody said it was Frankie Schaefer. It's Frank Schaefer, but it wasn't Frankie Schaefer that, that is messed up in a different way. We have to stop and say, do, even as we approach, even as we approach our own ministry here, all souls Christian, to each other, as we minister to each other, should we sin? Your hearts need to have been self-examined, not examined by the church, self-examined, that you have borne your own load, that you have moved yourself towards real spirituality that is not moved by envy, conceit, or provocation, but by your desire to be more like Christ and under his law. Because as he says about himself, verse 14, far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is where it gets hung up. It says, we're not this way because this key thing. And if you're going to be all about the laws, the institutional loyalties, us versus them, you're not about the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Christ that you're able to hang the law of love on. It's the cross of Christ that's the example to us of the law of love. He looked to his own and also to all of ours. The world gets crucified because the world is moved by other motivations. Really, as a church, our desire to be together is not out of loyalty to show up to this group versus another group should never be that. It should be love for the brethren. You want to help carry the load of other people. You want to bring the success of your own life together Sunday after Sunday, week after week, to benefit each other because you have carried your load. Because, verse 15, centered, bolded, and part of this is in red. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. What is different about your walk with Christ than every other religion in the cosmos? Is it the set of rules? The name of the guy who's the head is not Siddhartha Buddha. It's Jesus Christ. Is that the difference? No, it's a new creation. Look what he says in verse 16. Peace and mercy upon all who walk by this rule. Upon the Israel of God. What? Suddenly you have all of Christianity, not summed up with detail, but saying, you know, this is the rule. If you understand the difference between a religion and being made a new creation in Christ, then you know that's where peace and mercy exist. If you walk by that compelling demand that you be created new. And the creation new is going to be you bearing your own load and bearing the loads of others being self-responsible before God and responsible and loving towards others. 
That's the new creation. If you walk by that rule, you are the Israel of God. It's no longer, you know, trying to establish the nation state of Israel and Palestine so that they can rebuild the temple, blah, blah, blah. You are the Israel of God. And you're given peace and mercy. Henceforth, let no man trouble me. I always thought that that verse or portion of a verse is saying, back off, man. Henceforth, that's a Bible way of saying back off, man. What did Venkman say in Ghostbusters? Back off, man, I'm a scientist. Back off. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I'm not quite sure what Paul's talking about there. Literally scars from beatings, the sufferings. But he's up against the Judaizers who want to circumcise everybody. And he told them, I wish they would mutilate themselves earlier in the book. And he wants the saints to share this place with him that whatever mark the Jews want to put on you so that they don't get persecuted or whatever else, whatever marks they put on you, we have the mark of Jesus Christ on us. We have been set apart not to be protected, or not just, just to be made one of the Lord's own. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. And that's the last question. Are you marked the way Christ would mark you? Are you dealing in this company of believers, the ones you fellowship with week to week, or the other friends you have wherever you are, in such a way that, that you're bringing the law of Christ to life in front of them, where you have great grace, great standards, great expectations for yourself? Are you able to give gentleness to those who are sinning, but you correct? That you don't get tempted by the conceits and the gossip and the envy. That you don't get caught up in trying to raise people's support for an earthly ministry when we're really the cross of Christ is everything that we've been given to preach. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. Keep your people growing towards your Son. wanting to know what each of us has to assess in our own lives because each of us has to assess where we are. We don't want to be self-deceived. We want to be made into humble, helpful, loving, gracious, kind, faithful people. Lord, that new creation we have in your Son, we'd ask that you would work it out in us by your Spirit. But Lord, bring us to each of us to choose to walk by this rule. In your Son's name, we're very thankful. Amen.